And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Bird to your mother, it's time for another episode of Birds with Friends. Just the duo of feathery brethren, weather in any season to see the Eagles eating teams like Scrammy's top with cheese. It's Philadelphia. Both when Zach kicking it cooler than two penguins till Zach runs off with his valet keys. He's a real nuanced goose. Pull up a branch, get loose. It's time for some juice on some birds with friends. The early bird gets the worm, but prefers getting turned like a turn on some birds with friends. Both Zach coming at you with steps and things flapping. We are going to rip out the hearts of other podcasts. We are going to bite off their eyeballs. We're going to start every segment watching the scene from The Last of the Mohicans where the guy takes a bite out of the other guy's heart. We may not be good, but we're going to be nasty. We're going to reflect the blue-collar nature of this city. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Birds with Friends, a bi-week edition. Wednesday morning, Bo Wolf, Zach Berman, Marissa Dunn, starting on time. Marissa, how are you? I'm awesome, and I have to give a huge shout-out to our sickos because we officially passed 1 million downloads and YouTube views this week for Ooh. Birds with Friends so far this year. So very excited and very for the year for, for the year so far, yep. So Which we didn't top last year, right? We were um, very no, close. No, we, we, we just missed Yeah, I think we just missed it last year. So last year, I think we were 911,687 total downloads. Yes, so the, Zach. Which doesn't include YouTube. It yes. doesn't include YouTube, yeah. Yes. So, unbelievably thankful for all the listeners, for all the late night pods and everything you guys do. So, yeah, can't wait to double that next year. And, mm. you know, obviously when the Eagles go to the Super Bowl this year, it will just skyrocket it even more. So. How about ne- how about next two months? We don't <laughs> yes. need to say next year, right? Exactly. We, exactly. We're talking about an undefeated football team. We got two months to go. Exactly. Let's Let's see what we can do in the, in the next two and a half months. Morning pot and Zach's bringing the juice. I love it. What kind of party did we have in the in the Dunn household last night after after the Yankees punched their ticket to the ALCS? Big party. Obviously, Michael was pulling for the Guardians. You know, God rep Cleveland. Mm. Um, so he felt a little bad, but I was obviously very excited, very much hoping for a um, Phillies Yankees World Series. That would be pretty awesome. We definitely would have to do something special for that. I hope the listeners wouldn't hate me too much, but. I am pulling for the Phillies right now. Um, next round, I would not. But, um, yeah, very, very excited for the Yankees. I mean, they got to beat the Astros, which they've lost to them three three years, um, 15, 17, and 19, I think. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Hmm. So the, so the got to rep Cleveland thing, this, I mean, not Michael specifically, but I'm always curious about um, kind of the, the fan dynamic with that. Uh, if you recall, Jalen Hurts, his rookie year, wore the Houston Astros hat, right? And uh, and there was like some criticism. He's in Philly now. What's he doing wearing the Astros hat? Now the flip side is is Matt Ryan. He always wore the Braves hat when he was with um, the Falcons. Mm-hmm. But he's a Phillies fan, or he he grew up a Phillies fan. So I'm always curious what's what's better, like continuing the team that you grew up rooting for. 
or going with uh, the city that you're in. And I don't want to say pandering to that fan base, mm-hmm. but but getting mixed up into that fan base. Yeah, I think Michael didn't really like, he wasn't really super into baseball growing up. So I think it was easy for him. Um, but I, I do gotcha. think like if he had like a stronger allegiance, obviously he hopped on the Nats bandwagon yeah. when we were in college and they won. <laughs> um, but that, that's why he does not want the Phillies to win. He's a little still salty with Bryce Harper. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think he didn't really have too much of allegiance. So I think that was like easy for him to be on the Guardians bandwagon. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I feel like, you know, maybe you don't like flaunt it if you're rooting for another city, you know, and maybe be a little more quiet, especially if you're like, I mean, if you're someone of Jalen Hurd's status, it's one thing if you're someone of you know, not saying Michael's status is different, sure. but I think people look to the quarterback a little more than the backup offensive lineman's team interests. So. Not both. <laughs> I also think that I also think that like the Jalen Hurts apparel was much more about Houston than it was like the Astros. That, right? True. Yeah. He's not he's not banging the drum. Um, Although I I respect it when you stick to the team you grew up rooting for, right? Like uh, Devontae Smith is a Celtics fan. If if he all of a sudden hopped onto the Sixers bandwagon. It's it's yeah. like the Celtics were your team, right? I what about like the football support, teams though? You can p- support the city unless maybe they're playing each other or something yeah. like that. You know, like you can have two rooting interests, you know, root for the team that you're representing and really root for your childhood team. I'm still rooting for the Yankees. Sorry, I, you know, Guardians, <laughs> I was I was happy they made it, but I was still rooting for the Yankees. I didn't have any interests like that. <laughs> and now that you rock the baby? Like, yes. Isn't that what Josh now? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah, but that was just to send a message to Michael. That had nothing to do with <laughs> yes. the baseball game. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. My my little nephew was at the game. He's seven. He got to miss school. Well, he went the first night that it got rained out. He got two balls during batting practice, so he was thrilled. Nice. And then he got to miss school the next day and go. Um, and I was getting videos of him rocking the baby and chanting, Who's your daddy? And I've never been so proud. <laughs> never been so proud. <laughs> That's very good. Yeah. All right. Well, the Eagles are on by. Uh, and, you know, somebody made a good comment that, like, this is not um, pedantically the right word. Like, it's not a buy. They're they're not advancing to the next round. It's more of like a, an idol. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, as as you said, Zach, this is, uh, this is Emily's favorite team. Yes. When we started dating, uh, she looked at the schedule and she's like, Who, who's idol? And I said, that means they're off. I said, "Oh, that's my that's my favorite week." And so I always I always joke about it to the point that when I looked at Bo's power rankings yesterday, which I hope everyone looked at, the number 4 team was vacant. And I said, "That's that's Emily's favorite team." You know, the the team that does not play. So there you go. Uh but we did have a chance to talk to the coordinators yesterday and maybe there's some cleanup from the late night uh, podcast following the game. So why don't we send it over to the Stone Cold Newsman for the latest on the Philadelphia Eagles undefeated heading into a, a short vacation. No news is good news in Philadelphia this week for the Eagles. They are all for the most part. The coaches are in at least until... Wednesday, Thursday, it's it's Wednesday now, then Nick Sirianni will decide if he wants to give them a day off or a weekend off. But the players are off until early next week. As Bo said, the coordinators wrapped up the game and looked ahead. Uh, 
what the coaches are doing this week is essentially self-scouting. They're they're going through what's working, what's not working. Nick Sirianni has certain projects for the coaches that he that he, he wants them to do. Um, as Shane Steichen said yesterday, every team has tells, and they're trying to figure out what their tells are to get ahead of them. Uh, they're looking at things by formation, by down and distance, whatever it may be. And uh, so... That's what the coaches are doing this week. We can get into the specifics of the game, but not much from the news department. Sounds like Lane Johnson is 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 getting better. Uh, certainly, having the extra week here will, in theory, be advantageous. Or I, I should say, will certainly be advantageous. We don't know how advantageous yet, uh, but otherwise, on the injury front, not much to report. Uh, the Eagles did not have a player of the week this week. Um, Tariq Woolen, I believe, won it uh, over C.J. Gardner-Johnson. But make sure you check out Bo's excellent day after piece, I thought. Uh, really kind of, I, I, it was interesting to see in there what's going on behind the scenes with C.J. Gardner-Johnson during these past five weeks. So check that out. But C.J. did not win Defensive Player of the Week. And uh, the Eagles return after, after the bye against the Pittsburgh Steelers, who... Uh, Mike Tomlin said yesterday, when Kenny Pickett's healthy, he'll be back out there. So Pickett is in the concussion protocol, but don't expect there, at least yet, to be a switch back to Mitchell Trubisky. Back to you in the studio, Bo. Thanks, Zach. Enjoy the vacation yourself. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Uh, You know what? I I, I love the um, uh, Sirianni giving the coaches projects. I think it'd be funny if, like, you know, he uh, he assigns Jamal Singleton to like make a volcano, uh, or like, you know, uh, Jason Michael has to build a, uh, a gingerbread house or something like that. I think it'd be funny, right? Like little little projects. <laughs> I, I I see what you did there. I I do find it That's interesting. That's how I envision like, it in yeah. my mind. No, when when Sirianni has has talked in the past about. In the summer, they have these like internal coaching clinics. Like, why go to a coaching clinic when you have your coaches can put on their own clinic for the team? And 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 so they have their 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 coaches present things. So Sirianni does. He's he was an education major at Mount Union. He's he's giving out homework to his coaches. But I like the way he framed it Monday, where he's like, uh, and you know, we'll see how we're doing to decide if 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 they get you know time off this weekend. They're six and zero right now. You know, let these coaches. Yeah, they can't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, let these coaches see their family. And then Bo asked a good question in in Monday's press conference. Um, probably uh, Bo did a good job looking at Nick, and Nick looked exhausted. Um, he, he has, <laughs> this season more than last season, he has looked exhausted. <laughs> and so Bo, friendly uh, in a like a friendly way, asked him how how they're doing on sleep, and. And Nick was like, we're letting the guys sleep a little later, but they have to stay later at, at night. So, it's, I mean, I, I, I can tell you from Birds with Friends, it does not work that way. Right. Like if, if, if you're up until 5 a.m., it doesn't matter how, how long you sleep. You're still at a sleep deficit. Yeah, and not only did he not go to sleep when he went home, which, which I can definitely sympathize with. I mean, it, you, you, yeah. it is hard to, uh, to turn it off when you get home, no matter how late it is. But instead, he just woke up his son. It's like, hey, how was how was the baseball tryouts? Which I thought was funny, but yeah, good color. Um, what time did you go to bed on uh, on on Sunday night, Monday morning? Uh, Five a.m. Hmm, okay, not bad. Yeah, 
I, I went to bed were. around five too. Mm. But I slept till like ten forty five. There's no way Zach slept that late. I was on the jo- I was on the John Kincaid show in ninety seven five the fanatic. Yeah, you gotta stop doing that. I don't know how much they're paying you. I know you get paid, <laughs> but like it's ruining it ruins your week. Uh, it can't be worth it. And 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 reach can't they it, just have you audience. on the same thing on a Tuesday morning instead? <laughs> oh, we don't have to get into this on the podcast. It's ruining you. <laughs> it's not ruining me. I'm happy I go to, to bed till seven thirty. That's impressive. I mean, that's that's sad, but that's impressive. It, it, it is sad, but you know that's the life we live, Zach. Give the guy a break, Kincaid. Bring him on at like nine thirty no, instead. Stop, you know, stop, stop, stop. No one. There, there's no plight to being a sports writer. We love what we do. Let's let's talk Eagles here. At least double the price. <laughs> Hook my man up. I need you to be my agent. Uh, all right. Uh, yeah, let's talk Eagles. What uh, you know? We um, we 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 had our uh, initial thoughts, our knee jerk reactions, but with uh, with a little bit of extra time, a little bit of grinding the tape, a little bit of talking to uh, little birdies. In the uh, in and around the Novacare complex, what are sort of your takeaways from uh, from the Cowboys game? And I guess the first six weeks now that you have a little bit of distance. So impressed with this team. Um, okay, <laughs> is that, is that bad to say? So, like they're they just have so many answers on offense. Okay, and look, you can say that I understand that among a group of fans here uh you're you're supposed to dislike everything that jonathan gannon does um what this the of course of course your number one thing is you gotta you gotta stand on no literally the number one thing no the number one the mountains that jonathan gannon is the best coach in the world that's not what i'm doing the the number one thing i did was talk about this offense they have i literally said they've so they've answers for everything they can play so many different ways but i was i was doing offense and defense here right and defense uh they for all the criticism that seems to come Jonathan Gannon's way, they're keeping opponents to 12.6 points per game um, if, if, if you, since week two, if you take out the defensive touchdown that the Jags scored. So 12.6 points per game. I think anyone would take that. We can okay, talk about but it. But we, we just don't count week one? No. Okay, Bo, we were in agreement with week one. I said we yeah, I, I know, said, but I'm just saying that you're going to be so selective, like – that's Let's not so least. selective. I'm, I'm literally going these past five games. Okay. We all were in agreement about what occurred week one. Um, but since uh, since then, they've been playing at a really high level. We can get to the second halves because I, I know that's a, a popular talking point in, in Philadelphia. But I think what the defense is doing in terms of takeaways this year, uh, in terms of keeping points off the board, uh, which is which is critical, obviously. That is the name of the game here. Um, I like the way this defense is playing. Special teams leaves much to be desired at this point, but I thought Bo made a good um, point on Sunday night in the postgame pod about I, I think some of that might be personnel related, and the expectation should be that that personnel improves as the years go on, as the year goes on, because a lot of these guys don't have that much experience. On special teams, but we can get to the specifics of the game. What jumped out to me offensively uh, was I, I said they have so many answers. It's it seems so frustrating for the defense when you know what they're going to do, right? And then they and and then they they do it, and that like some of those those 
personal the personal foul penalties. And the one that jumps out to my mind is Trayvon Diggs in the end zone. Um, and I I uh, I asked Shane Steichen about this yesterday. Like when you're watching that play back, it's like all right, Devontae Smith is going to set the pick here, right? It's 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 a natural pick in the, in the, in the route. And then we talked about it on the pod the other night, squirts in, into the end zone. It's like what's what's the leaks? When you say I, don't know, yeah, I, I can't help but but smile a little bit when you say squirts. Okay, leaks, squirts. What's I mean? I think squirts is a better verb in that situation. It's, it's certainly evocative. <laughs> okay, um, uh, drops into the end zone. However, you want to frame it there, but like you you can see the frustration on on the fa- uh in the actions of the Cowboys defense there because that it's it's not like a new play that the Eagles are running but they have so many answers for what they do and Jalen Hurts is so good in the RPO game uh and I got to give the Eagles credit here and I I I think some other writers were on it in in terms of what they expected the Eagles to do um with uh, Micah Parsons, but it's the expression that we talked about. If you, uh, you know, can't block him, read him. Can't block him, read him. And it's, it, it worked really well. And look, it's, it's risky there because Parsons can accelerate to the quarterback if he's unblocked, but Jalen hurts is really good at, at reading. And, and the thing you see is that it's not just like Jalen hurts can hand the ball off or throw, Jalen Hurts can hand the ball off, throw, or he can't, or he can run it himself. There's there's so many options within that that uh, I I give the offense a lot of credit for how much they're doing with what doesn't seem like an overcomplicated system. Well, and and I think to your point, like the the specific plays you're talking about, the the AJ Brown, it was the fourth and three, and then it was the touchdown later in the game. They run the exact same play. Brown comes across the formation so they can see. Uh, whether it's man or zone, they they call the uh, run pass option, run pass run option, right? So he fakes the handoff, rolls to his right. Micah Parsons is in conflict. It's just those two guys. AJ Brown said after the game, he knew all he had to do was was get outside of Micah Parsons, uh, just like that was that was his um, uh, his tent pole there. And so you know that that puts Parsons in conflict. He's in the middle. They throw to AJ Brown. He gets the first down, and then later he gets the touchdown. But to your point. Uh, it's the it's the same play as the Jalen Hurts touchdown run against the Vikings when Jalen when Dallas Goddard is blocking down the field. It was the same like it's it's Goddard instead of Brown. AJ or Jalen Hurts has the same option. The defender drops off to cover Dallas Goddard, and so AJ or so Jalen Hurts just runs, and Dallas Goddard becomes a blocker. Um, and so they've they've done a good job running those those sort of staple plays um, that take advantage of the uh, of the unique skill set of of the quarterback i think the trayvon Diggs one to your point that uh touchdown with the squirt uh maybe they were upset because it was very definitely a legal man downfield penalty on the offensive line they were like three yards downfield okay so okay that's interesting you think that's what the reaction was i don't know if that's why they react i think i think trayvon Diggs had his own stuff going on but that yeah. definitely was a penalty okay. or should have been so uh, I'm curious if, if you're a defensive coordinator, which in Philadelphia everyone seems to think they can do it better than the person who who does the job. How would you defend this Eagles offense? What's what's the what's the way to stop them? Because they have so many answers. 
Well, I think what you are seeing is that uh, teams are going to blitz more. Um, the Eagles are not performing super great against the blitz, and they've had uh, some issues picking stuff up, and sometimes they're just sending more than the Eagles have to um, to block up. We lost you there, Bo. You are muted. It disconnected, Bo. Your mic. <laughs> oh, he's gone. Uh, so a few things there. How would you, Zach? How, so I've been thinking a lot about this, and yeah, the easy answer is to say blitz because you've, you've seen what teams have, have done about it. But if you're going to blitz the Eagles, that means that you're, you're in man coverage. You know, you're, you're probably in, in, in man against these, these wide receivers. If they have answers uh, for the blitz, and in the Arizona game, the answer, of course, was the screen game, which I, I still think they're going to try to do in those situations. I think that the coaching staff thinks they're explosive plays to come out of the screen game against the blitz, obviously, because there are, are, are fewer guys back there to tackle. Um, but my guess is uh, – so going into the year, what I, I thought they would do is I thought that they would drop guys in the coverage – um, and force Jalen, you know, to really be a passer here, right? Like you're, you're not, I'm similar to the way the Eagles tried to play Kyler Murray. You're not going to beat us with your legs, but, but this offense is a, it's, it's so they have weapons in the passing game and, and Jalen knows how to get to those weapons. But the other thing is if you play that way, they can just run it down your throat. And that's what what I give Shane Steichen so much credit for is he's not afraid to just keep running the ball. There's a lot of coaches who like they go into a game and they 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 have a script and they want to just go with the script. And so they're going to mix a pass here on third and six because that's what you do then, or second and eight. But Shane Steichen, if if there's a run the if there's a running play to be had, he will run the ball. And I give him a lot of credit because that takes discipline from an offensive coordinator and a play caller. Uh, just to circle back on the blitzing, um, so the Eagles are, are blitzed at the seventh highest rate in the league, and uh, they are not doing a great job against the blitz. They are so they're seventh in the league in terms of EPA per play, but they're fifth against four man rushes and all the way down at twenty second um, against blitzes. So it, you're right that that opens up the the opportunity for a big play, um, and it, it's a, a a possibility that Jalen Hurts can get past the blitz and make a big play with his legs, but. Uh, until the Eagles like goose those numbers up, I think they're going to see more blitzes as the season goes on. Now, do you think? And I imagine we'll get to this in our trade deadline discussion, yes. which we're going to have. But do you think a pass blocking running back would be advantageous for those situations? I think so. Now, I think Kenny Gainwell has done a fine job. Um, he's done a pretty good job in in those situations, and I also think he's he's improved as a runner as the season has gone on. He had a couple of nice runs between the tackles on Sunday night. But, I, I mean, I think this is part of the Miles Sanders conversation. Uh, we can get to it when we talk about the trade. But I, I looked it up before the show, did a little bit of homework for once uh, for the podcast. The Eagles have had – As did I, by the way. I mean, they just do not – they do not trust him um, on third down. Miles Sanders. Miles Sanders. Okay. They have had 40 snaps this year on third down and six or longer. And Miles Sanders has been on the field for three of those snaps. Good right? research. Like they just they they do not trust him um, in that capacity, and that's why I don't think that you can sign him to a a, a long term extension. Uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna really pay a running back, he better be a, a major factor on passing downs, and Miles Sanders is not. 
Um, but you know, well, that depends on what the market says and, and what the value is. But um, I think that is one of the uh, potential targets. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that later. But I, 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 I do think that that's, that's something to keep in mind. Well, as, as our well, – I, I don't want to say our resident O-line expert because I imagine Marissa watches more O-line tape than both of us. Um, but I, I don't know if, if, Mar, if, if Marissa broke down the Eagles-Cowboys game. How do you think Driscoll did stepping in for Lane Johnson in that game? Both. I think it was similar to when he stepped in for Mylotta two games ago where uh, he struggled initially and then sort of settled in. Um, he's good at the old, uh, you know, the old Fran Duffy tight end description, uh, losing slowly, I think. Like, he, he, he's not getting beat quick, <laughs> okay. which is fine. And that's really all you want. And, and, and to uh, the thing that Jason Kelsey said a couple games ago, that really all you want is for the guy to be able to uh, not like the the offense can still use its same game plan. They don't have to change what they're doing. They don't have to like figure out exactly uh, like use all these resources just to compensate for that guy. And I think I think they were able to do that with Driscoll. Yeah, it's it's like the old um, story that I'm I'm sure everyone here's heard where two people are going camping and a bear comes mm. and they they start to run and 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 one guy stops and puts on his shoes. The other guy says, you can't outrun the bear. And he says, I don't need to outrun the bear. I just need to outrun you, right? That's that's kind of what it's like with, with Driscoll. He, he he doesn't need to be perfect there. He just needs to, like like you said, uh, what, be bad slowly? or Lose slowly. Or, yeah. yeah, yeah, lose slowly. Like, lose slowly enough for the play to develop. So well, I, I, think I think that's that a good also relates to another trade conversation we can have about potentially Andre Dillard, but but we can get to that too. Yes. Um, Let's uh, let's give let's give Johnny Gans some love here, okay? Because what? Because he, he what? Whoa! He deserves it. Okay. Ten twenty six on October nineteenth. Bo Bo, are are you doing this with gritted teeth? Is there like a a hostage situation going on in, I, you are, in you Queen Village? I have um, never I've never been anti Johnny Gans. I gotta plug uh, plug this in. Your here. your first comment the other night was was like uh, killing Jonathan Gannon. No, I, my comment was killing you for praising Jonathan Gannon. A little bit, slightly different. <laughs> we'll have to rewind the tape on that one. But yeah, let's hear. Uh, so first of all, you know, the second halves. Um, I do think that we have to, uh, like, contextualize, for instance, that, you know, Nick Sirianni said on the radio the other, the other day, coming into the second half, he said to Jonathan Gannon, like, let's back off a little bit. Uh, now, I don't. Uh, I think you could probably get on Sirianni for uh, for that, but it is like you know, it's all part of the same puzzle. Like everything is working together, um, and so if they're up seventeen touchdowns and Sirianni is telling him like you know if you give up a like an eight minute touchdown drive here, that's not the worst thing in the world. Well, it's his job to do what the head coach is telling him to do, right? Um, so I think that's part of it. They're fifth in defensive DVOA, right? Like. Now, a lot of that has to do with the turnovers, and I don't think that the turnovers are super sustainable. However, like you do got to give credit to uh, the team as a whole. Maybe this is less Gannon and, and maybe this is more Sirianni. That if, you know, when Sirianni came in last year, the things that he was pounding the table for was winning the explosive play battle and winning the turnover battle, and that's what they're doing. It's not as easy as saying we want to do these things, we can do them. But I think there probably is something to like if those are your emphases and you're you're pounding that every day, 
that maybe you're building things um, with that in mind. And so I think I think the coverage is uh, is something that we can talk about and um, like whether whether the you know the, the killing them for uh, you know not pressing is a conscious decision to maybe uh, hope to lead to more turnovers. Um, and I went through I went through the nine interceptions, so we can uh, we we can talk about that in a second. But just in general, like taking a step back, obviously the talent is much better on defense. But I do think that like some of the, the philosophical decisions make a lot more sense when you have a really good offense and you're playing from ahead than they did last year when uh, that was not always the case. Yeah, so I, I think that's a good way of framing it. The second halves are a concern in, in that you, you – I, I, I don't want to come off like a homer here, but like if, if, if their problem is that they build too big of leads – in the first half of games, you know, I, I keep hearing what's wrong in the second half. Well, I, I've said this on, on, on Twitter. If your biggest gripe about the team is that they have double digit leads in, ga- in games and they're, they're not doing enough to extend the leads. That's a, a pretty good sign for a team. Uh, I think the second halves, the offense have been more problematic than the defense. You know, I, I, I think looking at, I think saying the defense is the problem in the second half, it kind of reminds me of, of uh, you know, the Jerry Tarkanian line when he said the NCAA is so mad at Kentucky, they're going to give Cleveland State two more years of, of probation. Well, like if, if, you know, the offense is going three and out and, and sputtering um, and but you that blame hasn't the defense. Been, that's for, not true, though. They've had long drives on offense. If you look at the, cow, if you look at the game the other night, the problem in the second half before that extended drive, in my opinion, was here. Let me pull up the drive chart. I, th- I thought the offense was more problematic early in the second well, half before that extended play. But look, I, I, I don't think that the, that the defense has been exceptional in the second half. Like you said, their production has a lot to do with, with turnovers and to a certain extent with pressuring the quarterback. They didn't do enough to pressure the quarterback. Uh, now, I, I know a quote that Jonathan Gannon said yesterday has, has caught a lot of attention. And I think Gannon was talking more philosophically than he was the Cowboys game in particular. Uh, but when Jeff McClain asked him about Nick Sirianni's comments and about playing in the second half, he said, uh, he said there are times when a 10-play drive that takes seven minutes off the clock when you're up three scores isn't the worst thing in the world. You can look you can look around the league and see how teams give up leads quick. So that plays into that. Uh, I think that's now, true. yeah. So explosive. If if a team's coming back in a game, usually it's with an explosive play, right? It's it's a quick score. I don't know it's if that's true. I mean, we say that. I don't know if that if the if that is actually true. I mean, an explosive play or turnover that the offense has, right? You look at, for instance, look at teams that lost leads this past weekend. Uh, the the Ravens game, the, I mean the the Ravens had a, a, a turnover, right? Gave the Giants short field there. Uh, in the Saints game, there was okay, an explosive so maybe play. You, you know, should the, be giving the offense credit for not turning the ball over then. Well, I'm sure that's how it's going to be spun, right? You know, uh, the offense can do it no wrong, right? The offense in your mind, yeah. it's all offense. Offense is to blame for everything. That's not at all what I say. Uh, I, I said I there's. I think what no I I think uh, there's a bit of anchoring bias that's going on with Jonathan Gannon, right? Where there's a certain impression 
of Ganon and the the uh, the uh, people can't move off that impression. But I I I, I don't want to come off like like Jonathan Gannon's defender here. Ultimately, the game is what dictates it. Twelve point six points per game in the last five games. I, I think um, is is so good evidence. Such, uh, you can't just I mean, like select what you want. I mean, you can't. Uh, well, I, I mean, I'll I'll just say that if you look at at Minnesota, the Eagles held them to the fewest points that they scored this year. They played Washington, Garbanzo Beans teams. Eagles held them to the fewest points they scored this year. Jacksonville, the Eagles held them the second fewest points they scored this year. Arizona, they held them to the third. So, uh, yeah, so so everything comes with a qualifier, apparently. Arizona, the third fewest points they scored this year. And Dallas, the second fewest points they scored this year. But that's that's besides the point. They've been very good. They're fifth in in DVOA. Yeah. So is the offense. I I th- I think what what they need to do better in the second half is 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 get more pressure, right? Um, you know, he talked about that. Uh, I should say Nick Sirianni, not Jonathan Gannon. Nick Sirianni talked about Tony Dungy being eighty and one in games when he had fourteen point leads. And uh, what jumps out to me, and Zach Kiefer put this up there, um, was when you have Dwight Freeney and Robert Mathis and the team's going to pass the ball, you can get after the quarterback. The Eagles need more pass rush production in the second half of games. I think that's how you're going to force teams into more third and longs. I thought it was too easy for Dallas, but to the point you made, I think they played a certain way to keep explosive plays off the board, to try to force extended drives, um, to put the, you know, to, to, to wear time off the clock. So I, I, I know there are smart people who disagree with me. Um, a an outstanding game theory professor at University of Pennsylvania being one of them. Um, but I think that ultimately the the proof is in the production, and the production here is keeping points off the board, relatively speaking. Yeah, and I think what happened, like you know, obviously everything is contextual, but everything that happened in that, like the those those two long Cowboys drives. It, it was frustrating because they were getting ahead. Like, you know, uh, as I said, they were uh, four, like, second and nines or longer on that second long touchdown drive, which is, like, that's what you would think that they should be built for. And then, you know, the problem is they're sticking a nickel, they're sticking in their four-man fronts, and it's easy to run on them uh, on second down or to yes. complete short passes. And that's another conversation that's, that we can have about yes. Jordan Davis and also Absolutely. about whether they need, you know, some help there on a trade. But... Um, I think that's sort of like in the second half, they've, they've been a little bit more predictable because they've been in these leads. And so they're playing their sort of conservative 2021 version and everybody, even Cooper Rush knows how to beat that stuff. Um, and maybe that's a choice, but I think that is sort of what's happened. Um, yeah. So, so to that point, do we want to get in, into that discussion now? Because I, I do think that, uh, there are things formation, like, like personnel wise, on the defensive line that they that that Gannon must must fix here, yeah. or that Gannon must improve. Well, first I want to I want to give him the credit, okay? Uh, okay. The turnovers, because I you know I, I don't think that you're going to continue getting turnovers at at this clip. Um, it's it's probably not sustainable, and some of them are are lucky of the like you know Trevor Lawrence fumbling the ball variety, but the nine interceptions. Um, I, I wanted to to go through them to see if there was anything structural, right? Um, and you know. I think the the uh, press on the outside to marriage up to marriage up with the, the pass rush sometimes is is overstated a little bit. Um, 
for several reasons. One is like we don't know what Darius Slay and James Bradbury prefer. Um, like if they don't want to be pressing and they'd rather be playing off coverage and reading the quarterback's eyes, you know, they're the superstars, right? Let them do what they want. And I think that in if your goal is to create turnovers, then it makes more sense to be playing zone coverage and off coverage just like uh, from a common sense standpoint, right? Because then you get eyes on the quarterback. That's how you're able to uh, create turnovers most of the time. So j- quickly through the through the nine turnovers. The first one, that Lions game, uh, Bradbury's playing off. Kaiser White is. Uh, it makes the nice deflection, but Bradbury's already breaking on the ball, which is not his man uh, because he has eyes on the quarterback, and then he's able to to pick up the uh, deflection off Kaiser White. So that's, you know, zone coverage off, uh, right? Um, the next one is the first from the uh what's the second game from the Kirk Cousins game um Dar- Darius Slay is playing off that's just a th- that's just a, a jump ball that uh Kirk Cousins throws a bad play on um but he's playing off he has eyes on the quarterback there's the other Darius Slay one from that one from the Vikings game again he's playing off he's got eyes on the quarterback Cousins makes a bad throw seems like a miscommunication with uh Justin Jefferson on the post but Slay uh is able to to get his head around or he's, he sees it the whole time uh Maddox zone drop he comes off his man and is able to drop back and read Kirk Cousins eyes um the next one is the Jaguars game James Bradbury makes an unbelievable play because he's playing off and in zone and reads the quarterback he reads the route combination right he he comes off the guy he's supposed to have the Lawrence makes like what should be the right read on the wheel but Bradbury reads it and has eyes on it he gets the interception Arizona uh, kind of a kind of a lucky one. It's that deep play to uh, Marquise Brown. Um, Kyler Murray is like a little bit affected by the rush, and so it, it's a short throw. I think, actually think that C.J. Gardner-Johnson is not deep enough because, like, if the throw is is uh, where like Marquise Brown can get to, he's going to get there before Gardner-Johnson does. But it's not a good throw. He picks it off, so that one's less less credit. Um, and then you go to the three from this game. The first one. Uh, single high, James Bradbury. Oh, wait, is that the first one? Oh, yeah. Um, hold on. Let me look at this. My notes are all over the place. Okay. Oh, yeah. So the first one is the one where, where Bradbury tips it um, and Garner Johnson deflects it. Again, Bradbury's off, reads it. Not a good throw by Cooper Rush. I actually thought that he could, like, he was open. He comes out a tick late, but Bradbury uh, reads it and makes a deflection. Garner Johnson picks it up. Slay. Uh, they talked about this on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. This is like a, a different technique. Uh, and this one, Slay is up on him, is, is pressing, but he's playing trail technique because he knows he's got safety help over the middle, uh, gets his head around. So that one is less. But that's like the coverage call that is based on like hoping to maybe get a turnover, right? Um, and then the last one is Bradbury falls down, but Gardner Johnson comes over because Brandon Graham makes a hit. But I don't know. I don't know if that, I don't know if that was helpful. But uh, going was. through the, the nine interceptions, like most of them are uh, off coverage so that the guys on the outside can read the quarterback's eyes. And like, it, are you going to take uh, like, would you take the trade off of like six second and long conversions for one turnover? Absolutely. Um, I think on third down, it's a different conversation because a stop on third down is like very similar to a turnover. Right. Um, so that's probably where you do want to play up a little bit more. Um, three of the nine interceptions came on third down 
uh, six of them came on first or second down. So I don't know. I think I think like philosophically, you take a step back. I think all of that is like they're doing what you would want them to do. They're they're emphasizing the things that you would want them to emphasize. And so I'll give a give a tip of the tip of the cap to Johnny Gant. Well said. Now I I agree with you that. Uh, turnover production is not often sustainable. We're supposed to have two breaks like, in this episode. We're already forty minutes in. Okay. Um, my, um, my only point here, if if you gave credit to to Gannon, I will. Um, I don't. I, I I guess knock him here, but I talked about pass rush production, which has been good this year. Um, but I, I think the two second halves that probably are annoying Eagles fans the most are the Cowboys second half and the Cardinals second half, right? In those two games, they have one second-half sack. It was Reddick's third-down sack over on Kyler Murray two weeks ago, which was a huge play. If you look in the Jacksonville game, three second-half sacks. Uh, if you look in the Washington game, three second-half sacks. If you look in the Minnesota game, two second-half sacks, right? Um, to me, that's that's not a coincidence. In, in, in games when you have double-digit leads, and the Eagles have had double-digit leads in every game, you should get more pass rush production. Now, what the point you made was a really good one where teams, I think, are seeing that when the Eagles are in a certain front, they can be run on, and the Cowboys were willing to run on them, and then when you start to run, it it, 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 it changes the way you play. But I, I think going forward, if the Eagles are playing with leads, the thing they can do defensively to improve the most is not change the way they cover because I, I, I think you outlined why they're doing it, but I, I think they need to get to the quarterback more in the second half of games if if they're going to sustain these leads. But so is that? I mean, that, that that's a a little bit results based, right? Like as opposed to process based. Process are you saying based. that they should be blitzing more? Or are they? Are you just saying that like their individual guys need to play better? Well, there's a few things there. Maybe you can um, individual guys need need to play better. Um, the blitzing, you've said that they blitz on early downs. You, if, if you blitz, you put yourself susceptible or you make yourself susceptible to big plays, which they, which they don't want to do. Right. Um, I, I think one thing that you're seeing, and I, I need to look at the Marlon Milton lines in the second half in terms of playing time. Um, because you know, in, in money situations, they're, they're not having those guys on the field, but they're not getting enough production from that group. That I think whether it's you're mixing in your five man fronts in the se- in the second half more, uh, that 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 could be one answer. Uh, I I think what I, I think they they need to figure out um, how to get more pass rush production in the second half of games, and that that could simply be your edge rushers beating their tackles in obvious passing situations. Maybe they can use, and we'll get to this, uh, and a new edge rusher. Um, at the trade deadline, there, but but I I think that in these obvious passing situations, there should be more pass rush production in these past two. But weeks. that is the that is the choice you're making. If you if your if your emphasis is halting big plays, that means that you are not putting as much, uh, you know, as many resources into the pass rush on those plays, right? So yeah, I mean you you could yes. hope that. You know, Josh Sweat wins at a slightly higher tick, or or Hassan Reddick wins at a slightly higher tick. But if your if your main goal is to prevent big plays, then you are probably not going to get as much pass rush. Like that's the choice, and that's the whole ph- philosophical discussion. You well can't. Said. I mean, otherwise you're just you, you're just the best defense in the history of the world. 
And we know the Eagles aren't that. Well, that's true. All right. Let's take a quick break. Uh, let's talk. come back and talk defensive line and uh, some other stuff on defense. And then we'll take another break and get to the trade discussion. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. All right, back on birds with friends, Bo, Zach, and MD. Uh, in terms of like, what are they doing differently on defense? Not just the uh, personnel, but sort of what they're calling. Um, I just looked at some of the stuff on True Media before the show, um, and you know, some of this stuff is based on uh, well, most of the coverage stuff is based on Pro Football Focus charting. So take it with a, a pretty uh, very large uh, mountain of salt, but this is what it says. At least it's consistent because it's the same source. But um, single high, they're playing at about the same rate, uh, 57% this year, 53% last year. Uh, one big difference is just personnel-wise, they're in uh, they're in nickel personnel in the secondary more often, and they're not playing four defensive backs as much as they did last year. So last year, they had four defensive backs on the field about 23% of the time. This year, it's down to 9% of the time. The flip side is they've got five defensive backs on the field about 86% of the time this year versus 73% of the time last year. Um, man versus zone, it's about the same. 71% this year, 72% zone last year. It seems like they're playing man at a slightly higher clip. That means that there's like these uh, like other coverages that they can't really recognize, so not super helpful there. Uh, but in terms of like the types of zones, they're playing. It seems like uh, quarters cover four is a little bit more prevalent this year based on the charting. 25% this year versus 15% last year. Last year they played uh, a little bit less cover two than they're playing this year as well. Again, this is uh, take it with a grain of salt, but that's uh, that's what's going on. And then we know that they're blitzing at a slightly higher rate this year. 26% versus 19% last year. And the passing results uh, speak for themselves. Five net yards per attempt this year versus 6.4 last year. That's all. Let's talk defense. Five-man fronts. Yes. So we're thinking on the same wavelength. That's a good sign. Um, Jordan Davis Probably is – for both of us. Jordan Davis and Hassan Reddick are the two big changes on the defensive front. The defensive line in particular, what surprised me so far this year, has been Jordan Davis is used – exclusively as a news to as an uh, essentially a, a nose tackle playing in odd man fronts. I mean, sometimes he's, he's not lined up directly over the center, but lined up in, in odd man fronts. Right. Um, asked Jonathan Gannon about this yesterday. And first he gave a generic answer, you know, where he's going to continue to play both fronts. And I kind of followed up and saying, hasn't he only been playing yeah, in, 
Yeah. Just lying to you. Um, and and, and Gannon, still love him. I mean, you're like a let's. The guy let's, lies to you right to your face, and you still love him. Let's not use the term love here. Number one and number because uh, first off, my think I hope my He's objectivity. I hope my objectivity. I hope my objectivity here is is unimpeachable. Um, but uh, I simply say I'm 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 calling it like I see it. Anyways, Jonathan Gannon's. I'm, I'm sorry. When Jordan Davis is in the game, they are a much better run defense. Then the numbers bear that out. Now it's not simply having Jordan Davis. You have five men on the line of scrimmage as opposed to four. You should be better in in the running game. But when they drafted Jordan Davis 13th overall, a big part of that was that he could be a game record game changer in the running game. And I think you're seeing that effect with him on and off the field. Now, how can you play him more? What that, that's that's the question. Uh, you need to start playing him in four-man fronts. Jonathan Gannon says um, they're comfortable with him in, in both fronts. They haven't demonstrated that yet, but he says you'll you'll see that as the season goes. To me, there's there's really two ways that this could happen. That well, I'm sorry. Let me back up here. I think since week one was a different story, but since then the Milton Marlin line has been problematic. Um, it, they, they're not getting the production they need from that group. Marlon had a good game against the Lions, hasn't been as effective since then. We discussed Milton Williams. He's, he's, uh, he hasn't taken the jump that I, that I thought, that we thought he was going to take this year. So what you can do is you can get Jordan Davis on the field um, in place of, of one of them, or you can stagger the Hargrave-Cox snaps. You can play Hargrave with, say, Marlin, and you can play Cox with Milton, however however you want to frame it. I think getting Jordan Davis involved in pass rushing situations, it's about time we start seeing him. It's only six games into his rookie season, but when they, they did not draft him, as, as you said, at 13th overall to be a run player. You know, they, they think he has pass rushing upside. Um, my sense is that this is not based on conditioning, that this is more based on comfort at this point. They're getting him more used to playing in different techniques than the technique he's, he's, he's playing at in the, in the odd man fronts. If there's a big change that can occur with the internal personnel, so not adding someone from the outside in the, I don't want to say second half of the year, but in the post-buy portion of the schedule, it's to get Jordan Davis more involved in those situations. I think what you'll start seeing them do is try to mix Jordan in with either Fletcher Cox or, or Javon Hargrave, get comfort get chemistry with that group and start seeing him there. Um, but I, that, that to me is like, you want to know how, if, if, if there's uh, a boost mode or like what the next step is for this defense, it's seeing Jordan Davis in those situations uh, because they need it. And I think he has it in him. Yeah. And, and this goes to um, their like ability to be flexible in terms of their personnel's game to game. Like, you know, they didn't play a lot of uh, even front nickel against the Cardinals. And so Jordan Davis was on the field more. And then in this last game, they played it uh, more like the majority of the time. And so he was on the field less. I actually, I, I did think that rewatching it, that this uh, was a bit of a step back of a game for Jordan Davis. He, he, he didn't, he wasn't quite as impactful uh, to my eye as he was the last two weeks. Maybe part of that is the reason is that's what they were playing. Um, but I think you're absolutely right. Like they need more. Uh, they need more from him in the passing game or they need more from Milton and, and Marlon. Like uh, they got to keep these guys fresh. 
Um, Cox and Hargrave can't be playing quite as many snaps as they played last week. Um, some of that goes to the flow of the game. Like you know, if you if you're getting a bunch of three and outs, then they're going to stay on the field because they, I mean, they want to stay on the field. They're still yeah. fresh, but um, I do think that like we need we need to see Jordan Davis on the field in those even man fronts at at some point. So yeah, the the point you made about the snaps. Uh, cannot be dismissed. You know, if if you see how many snaps they played in the first half of the Cowboys game, right, there's only so many snaps to go around. Uh, and players like Fletcher Cox and, and Javon Hargrave, they want to play. The flip side is you want your best players on the field in money situations. Big fourth quarter drives, you don't want Fletcher Cox over, over there being fatigued, right? You want to make sure that they're fresh late in the game. So there's a balancing act that Jonathan Gannon and Tracy Rocker, the defensive line coach, need to have here um but jordan davis like they they said on draft night they think he can affect the passer they said during the summer they think he can affect the passer basically they're using him the way he played at georgia which is fine and again it's six games into his career i don't want to say this is the player he's going to be for the next 10 years of his career but you don't spend the 13th overall pick on a player just because of what he can do in the running game uh so very curious to see the evolution there and who's who's playing time it comes at the expense of and what combinations they use there um because they're not going to play five-man fronts like significantly more they want to mix it up and so they need to be able to have jordan davis play in these other fronts um and i think the affection they have for marlin um that's that's admirable and he's a good story and he he played decently against the lions but Jordan Davis is your first round pick. Get Jordan Davis on the field. Well, I think that's true, but but I think this goes to the the trade deadline discussion as well. Okay. When you are at six and zero, and you know Football Outsiders has the Eagles as like a seventy five percent chance to be the one seed in the NFC, the stakes are different. Um, like this is not just about winning week to week anymore. This is about setting this team up to to potentially win the Super Bowl. And with the big picture in mind, you got to keep these guys fresh. Like you can't overuse Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargrave yes. and even Jordan Davis at this point. Like you need Marlon Tui Pelotu and Milton Williams to give you those snaps, even if they're not doing a great job, because it's in service of those better guys being as fresh as they can be down the stretch. Agree. Now, it's hard for me to measure that, right? Like, I I don't know how a player feels in early January. If you get a first-round bye, that's, that, that certainly helps you. If you have a big division lead late in the season, you, you, you start to drop their snaps. Um, there's also the point here, like, I, I always made the joke when Jason Peters was here, you know, who's, who's going to tell him he's not the left tackle? Who's going to tell him that, that he's he's not coming back? Like someone on the sideline needs to say to Fletcher Cox, you're not playing this snap here. Or if like Fletcher Cox wants to be on the field, right? So there's there's a, there's a push-pull there. But I do agree with you. Um, I think that uh, I would just rather have Marlon as like my fifth defensive tackle than as, as, as my, you know, backup pass rusher. Mm-hmm. Backup pass rushing tackle. How do you feel about so. the football guy phrase – uh, nut cutting time <laughs> is that a, I, I i actually think it's a basketball expression i hear it in football all the time 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think there's different ways to convey your message than not cutting time. But uh, look, I, I – We're like I'm whose clearly... nuts are getting cut in, in, the, in the guts of the game? <laughs> I, I don't think that's what they are talking about. I believe it's a – hold on here. It's a pistachio um, reference? No, it's not a pistachio a cashew? reference. Cashew? I, I I hear it more in terms of uh, in terms of basketball. I just googled it. It's actually a political term. That's mm, interesting. Your favorite. Be careful here. <laughs> yeah, we can't talk politics on the show. Be careful. That is true. If if history shows anything, I'm not the one who must be careful, Bob. Okay. Well, do you have so, what's the do you have the etymology? Uh, is it? Oh, uh, um, so well, actually, political dictionary is the first thing that comes up. If you. It's, if you look at my Google history, you now see nut cutting time in there. <laughs> um, uh, William Sapphire is widely credited with being the first writer to use the phrase in print. Sapphire's political dictionary def, uh, defines nut cutting time as a slang allusion to political to political castration, the denials of favors, and the removal of power or painful attention to details requiring attention. In the NFL, it's essentially used in 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 money situations, right? Um, and so that's, that's the way I would frame game, yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. So I, I like to say money situations, right? I, I, I think that's a better way to frame it than nut cutting time, but in any right. event, you can, I, I don't know if, uh, if that's something I prep for, for the show, but there you have it. Okay. All right. Let's take our second break. Let's come back. Let's talk, let's talk trade deadline and, uh, nut freeing time. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Okay, welcome back to Birds with Friends, Bo, Zach, and Marissa. Zach, the trade deadline, two weeks away. Mm -hmm. Eagles are in their bye. And if we know anything about Howie Roseman, it's that he's got an itchy trigger finger and that he is he is willing to uh, put some chips in in service of trying to attain the ultimate goal. 
which is a Super Bowl. And, and as we said, the stakes are higher now than they were before the season. The Eagles are 6-0. and They have a very, what seems like, clear path to the number one seed in the NFC. You get a bye. You get home field advantage. Who knows what happens after that? Uh, but this team does not have any any glaring holes necessarily at the top of the depth chart at the moment. Uh, they have been fortunate, knock on wood, on the injury front. What do you think are their uh, are their priorities? What do you think they're looking at? So there's there's two ways of of viewing this, right? You either just just try to fill a specific role to get you through this year, or you you get ahead of a 2023 need with you know so for instance what they did with Jay Ajayi was they viewed that as like a 20 as a 2017 need to help the backfield but they also viewed him as their starting running back the following year the Eagles could very well do that in the backfield this year they could say look Miles Sanders is a free agent let's get someone to be part of a committee this season who takes over next year um, or they can simply get someone to Block, you know, to be a pass-blocking running back or a complementary piece. I think that's one spot to look. I I think edge rusher is definitely a spot to look here, right, both for this season and beyond. Brandon Graham is not getting any younger, um, although he's kind of like an ageless player, it seems like. Uh, but that's a, a potential off-season spot to watch. And so I, I to give you a name, I know everyone's talking about Brian Burns. That's someone who would take um, first-round pick at least, and I don't even know if the Panthers would give him up, but maybe someone like Robert Quinn, right? Um, and that gets you through this year as just another pass rushing piece. You've seen uh, the effect Von Miller's had with the Bills. You can never have enough guys coming around the edge. Robert Quinn's a proven pass rusher. I don't think anything in the back seven, unless there's an injury in the Steelers game where they feel like they need the plug, you can they don't play their linebackers enough. I think they can get by with those two, and Nakoba Dean are going to continue to develop, and I think they're they're fine at 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 safety. The other kind of under the radar spot to watch would be backup tight end, or I shouldn't even say backup tight end, number two tight end, Jack Stoll. Even though he had that catch the other day, it's more of a blocking tight end. If you can get someone with more pass catching juice and twelve personnel, uh, that could certainly make sense. I know Calcaterra could develop into that player. Um, but that, that could help you there. So that's kind of my, my quick overview of where they can look. Uh, okay. Let's go through this. Um, okay. Because tight end, I think, I, I think that one's overstated. Um, because they love stole as a blocker, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're looking for pass rushing or pass catching upside, as you said, you've got Calcaterra. You've also got Tyree Jackson, uh, coming. Good back point. Very good point. Off PUP at some point soon. Or, or whenever they think that he's ready. Like, are you going to give up, like, draft pick compensation for Albert O from uh, from the Broncos? Like, I know that he's out So you there. treat Albert O the way I treat Marlon T, right? You just you just. Get I just me. don't know. I don't know the answer. Oquig Banam? I liked him at Missouri. I don't know the answer. I think yeah. that that is overstated. Um, I was just going through spots where, sure. no, where I'm they not, potentially I'm not, at some point. But I've seen, yeah. that, I've seen that elsewhere, yeah. uh, and, and I don't think that that's a move that they need to make. Um, I think they're fine at tight end. I mean, you know, if yeah. Dallas Goddard goes down, you're in trouble, but if Dallas Goddard goes down, Big you're trouble. in trouble anyway. Um, True. So, like, you're not going to get but it. But you might want, yeah, you might want pass-catching insurance, especially if, if, if Goddard goes and down. And I, I think that's what Jackson is. Yeah. yeah, then, now, they also have the option of not bringing Tyree Jackson back this year, right? 
they can revert him to IR and, and sure. just have him for camp next year. That injury did occur in week 18 last year, but he is around. He looks, I mean, tall. I don't want to say <laughs> that's relative. Everyone looks tall to me. Hmm. Um, never missed a chance, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I would think edge rusher and running back are well, the two on. spots that I would We're going to go through it. Okay. I said. Okay. All right. Okay. Running back. Let's stick on offense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are personality dynamics to worry about, right? So if you're going to bring in a guy, if you're going to bring in a guy who, uh, to your uh, description is like a, a compliment in 2017 and an answer in 2018, I don't know who's out there like that. Uh, you have to think about what that's going to like, how Miles Sanders is going to take that. Um, you know, I think they, I think they've bet on their, quote-unquote culture before uh especially with cj gardner johnson um i don't know i don't i don't i don't know how that would like who you know david montgomery is a guy but he's he's uh he's in the final year of his deal just like miles sanders you know are you talking about like a mark ingram type um like a christian mccaffrey type if you're gonna really push the needles in i think the i think the big picture thing that clouds uh this whole discussion is is the quarterback right and if we accept that Jalen Hurts looks like the answer for the Eagles at quarterback and is probably going to be their long-term quarterback, that means two things. It means, one, maybe you can be a little bit more loose with those first-round picks. You can be more willing to trade one of them because you're not going to need it to go find a quarterback. The flip side is, if you're going to pay a quarterback, you're going to yes. need young, controllable players. And so having yes. two first-round picks... Uh, who will be like theoretically, um, you know, core players for you on rookie deals, that becomes even more important. So that's the the interesting push pull from from Howie Rosen's pers- pers- perspective on a guy like Brian Burns or even you know Christian McCaffrey who shouldn't take a, a first round pick, but but guys of that caliber. All all good points. I'd be less I'd be less concerned about the player being upset in the event of a trade. I, I always talk about the human dynamics. I'm not discounting that. You're a 6-0 team and a Super Bowl contender. If if somebody is upset that you traded for someone at, at, at their position, then your culture is not what you think it is, right? Like, I, I think at, at this point, it's all hands on deck, right? These They see how, how, how good they can be. Miles Sanders still has a role here. The coaching staff, by the way, we, I should have said this. They've gone out of their way the past two days. When I say coaching staff, Nick Sirianni and Shane Steichen to like talk up Miles Sanders, right? They Which they very like much want to give some. Don't you think? For them to go maybe out he doesn't of their feel way he's good. Not yeah. even like asked about it, like oh yeah, you got to exactly. go up with a game plan to to gas up Miles Sanders. That feels yeah. like uh, you have to read that the opposite direction almost. Yeah. Um, but I I I think they can upgrade over over the Gainwell Boston Scott combination. I do. Um, and I don't know if it has to be a headliner. Uh, you know, I would say I, I, I don't know how this guy is from a blocking perspective, but Dearness Johnson in, uh, in Cleveland, he's third on the depth chart there. He's been productive when the top two guys have, have been out. I believe he, I like is he Curtis. playing on an, is he playing on an RFA tender this year or an exclusive rights tender? Right. Um, but he's, he's somebody who, if you're looking, you know, I mean, Cleveland, are they going to keep all three of those guys? I know they're a, a run-first team, but if, if you give them a pick, uh, 
elsewhere in the running back department, you you mentioned the 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 veteran type. I don't know if I would go that route. I know there's some Melvin Gordon buzz. I know this coaching staff has liked him in the past. Um, he does have a fumbling issue with the Broncos, but at the same time, the Broncos lost Javante Williams. I don't know if they're going to be compelled to trade him. I see in the chat people are mentioning Alexander Madison. Uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose so, but I I, I don't think his role's much much greater here than he is there. Um, it's a good question. I yeah I I do think that's a spot they can look at now. Jay Ajayi wasn't like a hot hot name discussed at the time. I think one player that is bound to at least be in conversation is Cam Akers with the Rams. Now that said. You need to you need your pro scouting department to really look closely there. Is he the same player he was before the the uh, the Achilles injury? He came back quickly, played in the playoffs last year, but he had a pristine opportunity to be the top guy with the Rams. Something's going on there, right? I mean, I um, yeah, that one to me. I would is look a, at that's that's yeah. like huge buyer beware. But he's also somebody who who. Uh, is under contract, was a former second-round pick, showed clear juice in the 2020 season, right? Um, so at least something to think a, would about. Would you give a, a seven for Melvin Gordon? Yeah. Yeah, I, I probably would, for sure. Seems totally totally on the outs there. I don't know. I mean, he, if he's not good enough to get on the field for them, that's, that's a big red flag. Yeah. But Yeah, I think the fumbling is a concern right? there. Yeah. Uh, now, but Josh but Jacobs, there is familiarity there. Your boy, I I I like a Josh Jacobs. Now that would need to be the Raiders waving the white flag there, um, because I I know they didn't pick up the fifth year option, but he is a, a high volume guy for them. You know, yeah. I mean, you can always look at like a, a I got one for like you. A, a Rex Burke like a, a Rex Burkhead type from a just pass blocking pass catching perspective. Yeah. But again, I'm, I'm I'm not. It's, it, it would be hard to sell like Rex Burkett is the answer here. What about Jamal Williams? Okay, that's an interesting one. Yeah, um, Jamal Williams can help you in a lot of cat in a, in a in a, a lot of ways um, because uh, he could be that you know people still want that big bodied short yardage back. He's been productive in those situations. Um, he's a veteran. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, who else do you have? Um. Well, that was pretty much. Now, that was pretty much. Now it. the reason I, I mentioned I the reason I mentioned Dearness Johnson is because he's someone who also has a return background, right? So if you're looking for someone That's who can one. help in that role, he could uh, he could potentially fill there. I think returner is is a is a possibility, um, because if you're looking for little little margins where this team can improve, we've talked about special teams. That's that's definitely one of them. Um, and then on defense, like, you know, Brian Burns, I would give up a first. Um, but that is another, like, that's one where you do sort of have to think about, are there enough snaps for him and Josh Sweat and Hassan Reddick? I mean, there probably are, but is is Josh Sweat going to be happy about that? I don't know. Probably. To, to your point on the, uh, I mean, I guess those guys played together in college and, Brian Burns played with Hassan Reddick in Carolina, so theoretically you've got plenty of information there. Um, I think that one is like that if you're if you're going to make a big trade, that's the big trade. Um, I think I I think uh, defensive tackle depth is 
a possibility. Uh, if there's a veteran out there um, who can give you a little bit more than than Tui can give you, or at least can you can spread the snaps around better and keep the guys like Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargrave fresh, I think that's a possibility. Um, I, I I've seen some linebacker talk like for the big trade. I just I don't see that. Um, I think I think TJ Edwards and Kaiser White are playing at a high level. I think you've got Nicobe Dean theoretically as a good backup. And I think that linebacker, like inside linebacker, you're talking about positions where guys can come in and step in seamlessly. I think that's about as hard as it gets um, in terms of like knowing the defense, knowing the keys, knowing what your, where your eyes are supposed to be, knowing the reads. I think like uh, like that's that that takes some time. Uh, I don't think that that's a position where you can you can expect a guy to step in and be be a hundred percent of what you're expecting right away. What about a third safety? Well, that's my, that um, was my next thing. Yeah, yes. Okay. Because okay. I think that's a I, I think if you're looking at the depth chart, where are the biggest drop offs? I mm-hmm. think that's the number one answer. Um, I like that. Like I agree. You know, C.J. Gardner Johnson to to Kayvon Wallace is is significant. Um, and that is a that's also a position where it's difficult uh, to get up to speed quickly i think but i think i think uh like a you know uh, like a uh, jaron curse type like a, a mm-hmm. guy who's like that level of player i think would would go a long way in like you know helping jonathan gannon get a little bit more sleep at night uh and like what, what what's keeping him up i think that's the biggest drop off on the team and and to your point there if you just think out if you think back to 2017 uh the eagles have linebacker injuries there they signed to Elberby off the street right mm-hmm. he's Hamlet. he's essentially he's essentially their their uh starting linebacker um during the Super Bowl run but really what the 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 way they clouded that or the way they compensated for that is was playing three safeties and if the Eagles are playing this this 5-1-5 which they like to play um then there's ways of doing that with a third safety right um as opposed to I mean you want Avante Maddox on the field but point being that you can get some three safety packages that's a little more creative than than what they've done. Like Jonathan Abram, I know is is not starting in Las Vegas. I, don't, I mean, he might just not be very good. Yeah, uh, probably is not. But I don't know if he's better than Kayvon Wallace, just a name. But I think yeah, I think I think safety. If like if you if you tell me uh, in the middle of the night you wake me up, the Eagles made a trade. My guess is probably running back or safety. I I I still say edge rusher, but okay. I think now, that's the most I, likely big trade. Yeah. Okay. I see in the chat here someone said Jimmy Kamsky brought up Jabril Peppers. You don't have to convince me on Jabril Peppers, right? He was doesn't, my uh, doesn't have a position. Zach loves him. <laughs> he was my free agent crush, um, but uh, I he can also return as well. But dynamic player at the University of Michigan, who also flashed when he was with the Giants. Um. Yeah, no, I, I, I just think edge rusher because I, I think that it could be someone who helps you this year. It could also be something that helps you beyond, but you can never have enough pass rushers. And you like having those guys fresh. And in playoff games, edge rushers are so significant. So, uh, yeah, if you're looking for the short-term fix, I would say Robert Quinn um, because – Jerry Hughes is also uh, potentially available. Okay. I got to imagine the Bears are, are like, what are the Bears doing with, with Robert Quinn there? At, at, at some point, they're going to be like, he's not a part of our long-term plans. Let's, let's get something for him. And then other than that, if, if there's someone you think can be part of the rotation next year. But I, I, I say this every year, 
that defensive end is high up there for where they'd spend their first and second round pick next year, first or second round pick next year. So if you're trading a first round pick for a Brian Burns type, it's a spot. It's a pick that that might have gone to an edge rusher, anyways. I think that's right. I think that's well said. Maybe Casey Tuhill if you're looking for some pass rush juice. If you can start planning his Canton speech. Yeah, I mean that's gonna take. That's probably gonna take the Saints first, is my guess. <laughs> but we'll see. Connor Barwin loved him, right? Did he? I think so. Yeah, I think Connor Barwin loved him at the uh, whichever bowl, you know, the Shrine Bowl, maybe. I don't know. I remember reading that or hearing that. Because he was white? I don't think it was that. No. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right, Zach, how are you going to spend the rest of your bye week? So I'm working on a story today that's going to come out on The Athletic tomorrow. I hope you guys all check that out. Um, I will be watching the Phillies. I was up late last night watching both games, Phillies and the Sixers. Harden looked good. Long for that's, that's something that should excite Sixers fans. I watched uh, – Watch the Warriors game um, as well. I read a good story on the Athletic. I, I I recommended about like these these two timelines that the Warriors have developing your you know Kaminga, Wiseman, Moody, while also having the core that won them the championships. Uh, fascinated by that Warriors team. Um, so that's uh, I'll continue watching the NBA first week of the NBA. Continuing watching baseball. Um, we'll spend a lot of time with the kids. Um, we'll spend a lot of time with my wife and, um, we'll be, uh, I don't need to be recharged. It's a, it's an early bye week, but I will be ready to go pumped for next week and for what's coming beyond that. How's your so, fantasy basketball team? Uh, so hit and miss. My auction did not do particularly well. Mm. This, this might, um, surprise you. I say that sarcastically. This will not surprise you at all. In auctions, I, I don't, I, I don't do particularly well in the auctions because I'm always like, how is this guy going for this price? Like I, I do my valuations before, and my valuations are always like twenty dollars <laughs> for for like the headlining players. I am, I'm much better at the drafts than the auctions because I'm, I'm really good at like the the uh, you know finding your your one dollar guys, your two dollar guys. Uh, later in the auctions, but I I always in all my auctions I do auction baseball, auction basketball, auction football, and I always end up like we're seventy five percent of the way through the draft or through the auction, yeah, turn. and I have <laughs> I have too much money left over. So yeah, so uh, my auction league not as good. My my draft league very good. That's the league I'm in with John Gonzalez and Derek Bodner. We've talked about that. Now that said. I did sell at the deadline last year, mm-hmm. so I had two firsts. I had three thirds. Um, I, w- I, w- I was able Who'd to have premium picks. <laughs> I mean, do we really need to get into yeah. this? Um, so actually, so in my first, so I had the number one overall pick. I won the lottery, uh, which was which was a surprise. Thank you. And so I had Luca on my team, but what I did is I didn't protect Luca. I put him back in, so I reset his contract and I don't need to get into the particulars of mm. that. Um, and then I traded uh, an extra pick or not so an extra. That, I, I, I keep him longer. Is it, the, and does he become cheaper or. So in this league, <laughs> I mean, do we really want to yeah. get into this in this, in this league, you protect them at their NBA salary. Okay. Um, but if you protect a guy for more than one and the salary cap is the highest paid player in the league. Right. 
Um, and uh, but if you protect a guy after the second year, there's a 10% tax. After the third year, there's a 20% tax, right? So I've had Luca on, but this will be the fourth year that I've had Luca on my team. So I basically reset it to the, so by him, gotcha. by me having the number one pick, I was able to reset it. Um, so I could, in theory, protect him in future years. But I traded for John Moran, I traded for Miles Turner, and I had Kevin Porter Jr. So I protected those guys. And then I went, uh, so I went Luca, and then my other first round pick, I went Sabonis. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I like my squad overall. And any, any rookies? Uh, no, not, well, no. So I, I, I went with some post-hype guys, okay. like James Wiseman. Um, rookies tend to go real high in this league because they have low salaries. Like, mm. yeah. Now, I was upset at one point. Um, Does it bother you that James sh- Wiseman's bad? Does it bother me? Well, I'm, I'm still <laughs> still going in on him. Um, I was, uh, I should have taken Jaden Ivey at, at, at one pick. But anyways, we didn't need to go down that, that, that rabbit hole. So, um, but yeah, love, I love watching the NBA. Okay. Marissa, who, what about your bye week? Who'd you take in, who'd you take with your, uh, <laughs> first round pick in fantasy basketball? Um, I actually do not play fantasy basketball. Um, I wish I played with Zach. Um, <laughs> you wish you were at an auction with me. <laughs> um, I got to get a little more into the NBA. Um, I would say I'm, you know, a casual fan. Um, but maybe, maybe I'll, uh, now that maybe we can add an NBA segment at the end of the podcast so I could get a little more uh, well-informed. <laughs> that reminds me, I've been uh, meaning to give a belated congratulations to uh, to Bo Wolf for leading uh, Kansas to their second national title in uh, in what if sports. Uh, good job. Good job by, by the head coach. <laughs> How are you guys spending? Well, it's not Marissa's bye week. Really an incredible week, team. But... Um, Maybe one of the best teams ever assembled. Uh, so good on defense, and and man, could they score! How are you spending your bye week, Bo? You're looking at it. I'm just gonna sit here and <laughs> podcast. That's Listen about to it. yourself. Yes. Um... <laughs> no big plans. Probably, probably, yeah. probably some apple picking at some point. Yes, that's good. Uh, apple go. picking, pumpkin picking. You know. Um, we hopefully we'll have a, a long run into February. So take your rest now. That's for sure. Well said. So I want to give one quick shout out. It's my, uh, it's my brother, Nick's birthday, 30th birthday today. All right. Birthday, Nick. Nasty Nick. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, cause that's what they call Sirianni. Yeah. No. Is that what they call uh, <laughs> Just like Yeah. They get him a cameo, Zach. Why, why didn't I get him a cameo? I think he gets yeah. enough of me. <laughs> yeah. That would be funny. Though, he gets, yeah. He gets he gets uh he gets enough of of uh of random texts from me. Um, but uh, uh, they, on radio yesterday they called Nick Sirianni Nasty Nick. Oh really? Yes, I think Angela said that's his new nickname. Mm, maybe they were talking about yeah. Nick Berman. They were not. I wouldn't call Nick Berman Nasty Nick. Mm. How about Naughty Nick? <laughs> wouldn't call him that either. I would call him uh, Nice Nick. Nice, nice Nick. Nick. Well said. Yeah, he is nice. <laughs> It's nice. All right, that's good. Good that he's nice. He's getting a lot of love in the chat, so I hope you show him as 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 he should. He deserves it. Yeah. Oh, they're giving they're, they're giving him some foals love too. 
All right. Uh, well, that'll do it for this episode of Birds with Friends. Uh, we'll be back next week at some point. Uh, enjoy the bye. Enjoy your Phillies watching. Uh, enjoy uh, rooting for Zach's fantasy basketball team. And we'll talk to you next week. So, for Zach and Marissa and Nick, happy birthday. I'm Bo. We thank you for watching. And as always, we love you. Friends.